Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I am your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. I'm really happy to have you with me. Don't hesitate to be in touch with questions and comments and letting me know of people you think you'd like to hear on the show. You can find links to my social media and website on the Good Grief host page at Voice America. You can just search Good Grief, Voice America and you'll find me. Today I welcome back Melanie Damore. I'm so excited. As an outstanding singer and vocal activist, Melanie believes in the power of voices raised together to bring social and political change. As a subject of Stick and Pound, she's helped preserve the African-American folk tradition through song and gullah stick pounding. In her 30 years career, she's taught, lectured, mentored, conducted, directed, inspired both children and adults. She has presented, conducted, and soloed internationally, including Festival 500 in Newfoundland, Canada, and Chorus America. She's adjunct faculty at California Institute for Integral Studies, lead teaching artist for Tempo at UC Berkeley, and a featured presenter for Speak Out Institute for Social and Cultural Change. She's performed with Linda Tillery and the Cultural Heritage Choir, Odetta, Richie Havens, Pete Seeker, the Trinity Choir, and Muse Cincinnati Women's Chorus, among others. She truly embodies her own principle A song can hold you up when there seems to be no ground beneath you. Welcome, Melanie. Oh, it's good to be with you, Cheryl. Thank you. I've I've been so looking forward to this. Uh, It's a it's an unusual show, and I and I thank you for saying right as my mother and your father died, right in that time, we have to get on the radio and talk about it. Right. We absolutely absolutely. so, you know, it's um I I'm just very honored to have this talk with you about two pretty incredible lives and deaths. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and as always uh, for me, you know, I always begin uh each day with a little bit of song, so I thought maybe we might I might sing a little bit of Sending You Light. Just to get That'd be started. great. W- can I shyly ask if I can sing along a little? And you out there, listeners, you sing along too. I feel this song just drops drops people into their hearts so directly. So I hope we can all we can all do that together. Absolutely. So here we go. I am sending you light to heal you to to hold you. I am sending you light to hold you in love. I am sending you light to heal you. I am sending you light to hold you in love. 
<laughs> the phone cut out a few times, so we we were a little off from each other. But that's such a beautiful um, tone and and the words. You know, I've I've sung that when you've when you've performed it in large auditoriums, yeah. and and just to feel that with so many other people is an incredible experience. Well, you know, it's it's an interesting thing about about that. I mean, that whole of us raising our voices together. And you know, it's funny. You, you, the song came about in such a, an organic manner, and now it's sung all over the world in a number of different languages. And I run into people all the time that that have a special connection to that to that piece. I'm really grateful that Spirit gave it to me. Yes. Sometimes that's that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I've I've uh, I have other musician friends who have a particular song that they just sort of feel was handed to them in sure. a way, and mm-hmm. those songs are so special. I think. Yeah, they really, really are, and you just don't know. Uh, you just don't know which ones of those will be there, and and something that seems so simple becomes sort of uh, a go-to song for people in many different situations and sending you light is certainly one of those and I'm really grateful for that absolutely so here we are you and I um, we both have grief uh, very much interlaced with what we do in the world yeah uh, from earlier griefs and here we are both our parents went through pancreatic cancer in the kind of the same time period died Died within weeks, I think. What was right. your dad's well, death day? My dad died on September 24th, and just the day before I was, so I came to sing for your mom on Monday, on the Monday, the Monday that she died, because I believe she died Monday evening. She she died the 29th. Right. So, so they were so, within a week. <laughs> exactly. And then I left to go sing at my father's funeral the morning after I sang for your mom. You know, I just want to say on air that um, I can, sometimes when I'm asking something unusual of people, I'm not really shy anymore, but my I kind of regress. I, I'm kind of shy, a shy child once more. Mm-hmm. And when I called you to come sing for my mom, I had some of that, but I also had, God, if she could do it, it would be so incredible. You know, and I just want to say how grateful I am for that you that you came and that you sang for her. That was such. I really feel that helped her a tremendous amount. Well, you know, I tell you, it was such a sweet experience. You know, your mom was just she had such this beautiful golden light flowing right out of her eyes and I, I felt that I felt the real calmness and I felt the real privilege to be able to make a, a space for her. I felt really, really, really privileged and it was a blessing to me to get to sing for her. And it was it was almost it was an interesting thing because I was on my way to Texas to sing at my dad's uh, funeral and it just kind of was like, I kind of had a, a feeling that, you know, you might say, Pop, here comes Shirley. She's cool. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. 
you know, show her around or something. Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah. Yeah. Very help her, help her find her husband, right? <laughs> huh? Help her find her husband. Yeah, they're all up there together. <laughs> My dad was already there. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So it's like, look around and, you know, mom will be waiting for you. And and that, you know, that was the thing, actually. You know, I, I wrote a song for my dad that I sang for him and um, at his, his funeral. And here's the thing, for those folks out there uh, who, you know, we get really trippy when we feel like, you know, if we're not in the same place with somebody when they pass, there's all that guilt and hoopla that's just really useless. I'm just saying it right now. Mm. But what I was able to do three weeks before Daddy died, I was with him in San Antonio. And... So we got to spend some really nice time together. He was at home. And then two days, maybe three days before he died, my sister Karen called me and said, you know, we're not, Daddy's not doing so well. Would you sing for him over the phone? And I said, does Kenny have his iPad there? And she said, well, sure. I said, put it at the foot of Daddy's bed. So for the last two and a half days, I was able to be with my father and my family in real time on Skype. So... I, they didn't have to report back to me. I was there. They could ask me questions. I met his caregivers. Um, I sang for him over Skype and played my guitar for him. You know, I could, like, yell to my little brother in the kitchen and he could hear me. So I'm just saying for all of you out there, when you have, perhaps you cannot physically be there. But think about, this is one of the things about modern technology that can bridge those gaps in these times. And I know for my sisters and brothers, and for me as well, I felt like I was absolutely there. I got to see him take his last breath. Mm-hmm. I got to be with him. The, the others were in another room, and I got to just be with him um, and have some moments. I saw I was there when they came to, to take his body away. It was an extraordinary experience. And the song that I wrote for him, actually... It's called Go to Your Heart's Desire because I was there and I was just watching him and the people were around. And I had this strong, I mean strong, mm. strong vision of my mother standing at the foot of the bed waiting for him with a smile oh. on her face. That after all of these years that they were going to be, and I'm not kidding, it was, exa- it was so clear and so strong that that was what his song was. His song was about about my mom waiting for him and, you know, the words are something like, can you see her? Can you hear her calling your name? So I'm just saying, folks out there, if you find yourself seemingly far away, you know, Skype is a good thing, anything like that, and just say, hey, just, I told my brother, plug in that iPad and we'll keep it going the whole time. Yeah, just leave it on. (laughs) And that's what I did. So I'm just saying... There are many ways to be with somebody. You know, you had told me about that, and then I was um, I was teaching a course last week. Um, I I teach the continuing education at Women's Cancer Resource Center, huh? and the it. course was on families facing cancer, mm-hmm. and we were talking about the impact of geographical distance mm-hmm. on um, the experience of losing someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all that intersection of near, far, and, mm-hmm. and I, and I actually told, uh, the story of what you did, mm-hmm. uh, to the, to the participants and they were very, very moved by that because we do think we're either there or we're not there. 
Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be that way anymore, does it? It does. It really doesn't. And this was just so, um, it was so important. And I mean, I sat up all night. I did exactly what I would be doing if I had been sitting there in the room. Mm-hmm. You know? And the fact that I could uh, talk to my to my family members, I was there when my, when my nieces and nephews came in. And so they could say, hi, Aunt Melanie, how are you? And I think the most important thing, besides the fact that I got to be a witness to all this, was that in these times of grief and all that, that they didn't have to describe to me what happened, that they didn't even have to think about any of that stuff, that I could be there, and I didn't have to get any secondhand reports. Well, the thing I think about there is the power of shared experience. Exactly. You all had that experience together. Exactly. And that, that just seems so beautiful and, and um, a little bit transcendent. You know, there's a, there's a tendency, I think, to, for us to say uh, something is all bad or all good. Technology is bad because we spend all that time on our phones or TV or what. But from, from my mind, there's an up and a down to everything. And that's such an incredible up to technology. Oh, absolutely. I think that I, I am so... I was so grateful for that, you know, and that to be able to see my father's face and to and my sisters and brothers and just kind of like we got to be all of us kids together there and I, I'm the I'm the oldest. But, you know, and they felt like I was there with them. So it wasn't I just came to the I just flew back for the funeral. They had yes. they didn't there wasn't that huge gap between oh no Melanie's here, you know. Because you, I felt I was there. Could you share a little bit of the song? Do you recall it? Um, sure. Let me see. I can just give you a little bit. Let me play the guitar. Um, yeah, it's uh, let's hear a little of it. Let me see if I can. Uh, <laughs> I had a song <laughs> a little bit, but uh, let me see if I can do so. Just a little taste. <laughs> Yeah, just so, just that, maybe I just, I didn't realize that that might be the one you want to hear, but I don't mind, I just got to be, so keep talking to me while I'm doing this. Okay. (laughs) I love this. This happened last time too, right? We had a little bit of um, uh, getting ready for singing with the guitar. Well, yeah, so I have the guitar here, but I didn't have the kickball out. Oh, uh uh-huh. Well, we could do it in the next segment if you'd rather, too. I just, um, I'm, it's my own desire to hear the song that is, of course, active. <laughs> sure. Let's see. Uh, I have my capo here. I can give you a little bit of it here. Can you hear her calling your name? Can you hear her calling your name? So go to your heart's design. Go to your heart's design. Can you hear her praying? Can you hear her praying? 
Oh, that's beautiful. I know there's there's a little bit of sound complication when you when you sing since we're uh, connecting by cell phone, but still, I think people can can get a sense of um, the soothing quality of that song. Yeah, it was um, it was it was an an amazing experience to uh, to do it because it came to me while I was watching him. Um, let's see if I can at least give you the. Yeah, so each each one uh, there's a verse that says, "Can you see her smiling at you?" Because I literally could see her there. And can you see her smiling at you? Can you see her smiling at you? Laugh to your heart's desire. Mm-hmm. And can you feel her loving you so? All of those things. And the last verse is about um, them dancing together. So. And one day I'll probably record the song. And, and I had my sisters and brothers had asked me to sing a song that I sang at my mom's funeral that I wrote for my mother. And then, and so I did that song and I did my dad's songs. And um, I have this sense, and I don't know if it's true because I don't think we've talked about it. You know, um, my parents were sort of um, considered, well, at my mom's uh, funeral, somebody said um, in this church, because they were very strong in a church community, in this church, Shirley and Dick is one word. Uh, right. <laughs> and somehow I get that sense of your parents that they were very much connected. You know, they really were. My dad, um, you know, Pop was 89 when he when he died, and he, a couple of years, my mom died in 1973, a couple of years after that, I asked my dad, I said, Pop, you know, um, you think you'll be married? And he said, you know, I had 20 years with your mom, and that will last me the rest of my life. My father never remarried. He didn't want anybody else but my mother. Mm. And that's a long, because he was like 45 or something when she died. Yeah, that's a long time to not remarry. Yeah. My mom was much, much older when my dad died, and... um mm-hmm. It, it she she never I don't think she ever really considered it. Yeah. So we've come to our first break. Okay. Uh, listeners, during this break, go to go to Good Grief at VoiceAmerica dot com, please, and find links to my social media. Let me know what you think and connect with me. I want to remind people out there that I'm available as a grief counselor all over California either locally in the Bay Area or by uh, Skype all over the state, and as a speaker and consultant worldwide. And to find Melanie Demore, go to www.melaniedemore.com. That's M-E-L-A-N-I-E-D-E-M-O-R-E.com. Back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, 
Let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Real Life Solutions. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and today I'm talking with Melanie Damore, the amazing musician, about the deaths of her father my, and my mother and us as people who work in the world of grief, um, how all that intersects for us. And during the break, Melanie, you, you were talking about even more recent, you know, our our parents died in September, just this last September. It's now... Um, you know, February, but you've had some further losses since then that it sounded as if were pretty, uh, also pretty meaningful. And I wondered if you'd speak about that. Sure. I am. Well, you know, just a couple of weeks before my dad died, one of my dearest, dearest friends died very suddenly. Um, I'd known her since I was in my late teens and, um, it just broke my heart. And, um, that was a really an extraordinary experience of loss, and then my father. But just maybe two weeks ago, about three weeks now, I had gotten a call from another friend of mine that a dear friend of ours uh, was really not doing very well, and she was at a rehab uh, hospital. And my, it's my friend Mariah from uh, Barnes, and Mariah from, was the very first person I met when I moved to Oakland. The mm. very first person I met in 1989. In January 1989, when I got here, and um, and we had been friends for all of those years, and so I had taken my guitar and I'd gone over to the place. This was a Friday, and it was an interesting experience seeing her. It was so, it was very sweet, 
And we were talking, and she was saying she didn't know why she was still around and and um, and why she was here and all these other things. And she got to talking about, um, she said she hadn't, there was something about wanting to go for a walk. And I said, well, I'll go for a walk with you. And so she looked at me and she said, okay. And I put her shoes on and we got her walking around and she took a bunch of steps, which was a lot. And then another, my other friend was there and they said, what did you say to to Marisa? And I said, I, I said, I just want to go for a walk with her. So she hasn't taken a step since September 4th. Mm. I said, well, we walked. And I got her in the, and then she, you know, it's a little much and she walks just like took a few steps and put her in her chair and we went whizzing around the, the ward there. I was speeding around and giggling and everything <laughs> in the chair and came back after she wanted a couple of tunes and sang a couple of songs that she really liked. And she was just smiling, that Marisa smile. And just before I left, I put, you know, I put my hands on her, on her feet. She was laying back down in the bed and, and I said, you know, when you take those steps, I was on her feet because she said, sometimes they don't do what I say. And I was talking to them like, that's when you got to go by yourself, right when you got to go by yourself. And we were just laughing and giggling. And I kissed her on both cheeks. I said, I love you. And she said, I love you too, pal. And I got to tell you, when I walked out, I knew that I knew that, that was absolutely the last time that I would see her. And I, I also knew that she, the one thing she had to do was get up and walk again before she mm-hmm. left. So when mm-hmm. I left, I knew. That was it was done. It was done, and I got and I got a call on the following on the next Sunday because it was Friday Sunday, and that was the day of the um, the Martin Luther King in the Name of Love concert at Scottish Rite Temple here in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And that morning at five o'clock, I got a call saying that she had died. And um, so that night at the concert, uh, I dedicated uh, one of my pieces because I was one of the solo artists and besides my little thousand little children. And um, and I dedicated it to to her. And then I sang at her memorial maybe two weeks, maybe two weeks after that. So just literally two weeks ago. Even if that could even be just a week ago, Sunday or something. But um, it was an amazing experience. And, you know, because part of my work is singing, at, uh, is singing for people that are in transition, you know, there there's so many different levels and ways of knowing. And I knew when I left that, first of all, she was very peaceful. And that the last time I saw her, when I saw her when I left her there, she had that smile on her face. Mm-hmm. And I felt like she had taken a really deep breath for the first time in a long time. And I I felt like she that what she needed to do was to prove to herself that she could get up and take those steps and then she, so that she could walk into the next phase of her existence. I've been thinking a tremendous amount. You know, I, um, my dad fell, hit his head, died. There, mm-hmm. there was no process with him. Right. Um, I mean, there was, but it was... Um, he was completely still, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, it was, it was a different kind of process, but with my mother, I, I felt as if I've, I've, you know, been there for deaths before, very important deaths to me. 
And those deaths, those experiences taught me death can be faced. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so I've had that confidence. But there was something about watching the person who raised me Mm -hmm. face her death so forthrightly. There was Mm -hmm. something that that, uh, deepened my confidence that I could do it. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to describe it exactly, um, but it was an inner knowing. Oh, this is just doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and I think you're talking about that a bit. Like she, she had her, your friend had her process. Mm-hmm. And um, it, was, it was very clear when it was complete. You could yeah. feel it. Yeah. And um, the idea of, of, us being able to die without resistance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just really comforts me. Yeah. And, you know, it's not always, it's, it's different for every person, but it was the same thing with my sister, Drina. I knew that she, she was doing it the way she needed to do it, and it was exactly, she just pretty much handled her business the way that she needed to handle it. And, and I felt that there was no... Struggle. It was almost as if, for me, with Marie, is that she was like, "Okay, now that the the decision is, I've made the decision. Let's get going." <laughs> it's kind of mm-hmm. like that, you know. And I, that's the thing I felt about uh, with your mom. She was, she was so, her spirit and energy was so clear. It was so crystalline to me that. At the core of it, there was a great sense of peace, and not even resignation. It wasn't resignation. It was different. It was a different feeling that I got from your mom. I guess I would have called it readiness. Yeah, absolutely. She was like, you know, I was like, I'm good. Well, one thing about my mother before illness is that once she realized what the job was, Mm-hmm. she was very forthright about doing the job, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I feel she kind of faced her death that way. You know, mm-hmm. once it was clear that what was left to do was, was walk towards death. Mm-hmm. That is what she did. And later on the day you were there, uh, later on that day, the hospice nurse asked her how she was doing. And she said, well, I thought this was going to be terrible, but really, it's not so bad. <laughs> you know, so, and I asked her if she thought that she was going to see my dad, because they're very uh, faith-based people, you know. What did she believe about that? And she kind of um, coyly said, I think maybe so, which meant, I know you may not believe in this, but... <laughs> Yeah, she had hadn't caught up with that. You know, I didn't have any problem with that notion at all. But I was very touched, therefore, when you were talking about seeing your mom at the end of the bed, yeah. um, because there is that sense of kind of ascending our loved ones to something, not just from something. Right, right, and it was really interesting. It really was a very strong feeling. Which is, I, you know, because the song came sort of spontaneously, which is what happened with my mom's song, too, that I really had that sense of 
of a re of a reconnection in whatever way that is. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and so and I just uh, you know there are, we have different kinds of belief systems and things and. You know, I'm I'm of the of the thought that there's all different kinds of ways that it could be, and so who am I to say that it can't be one way or, or it has to be this way? So because lot, I, also, I knew in my yeah. father's heart that that's how he felt. You know what I'm saying? Well, I do. Sometimes I picture it like a, a huge mountain, and if you're looking at one part of the mountain, if you're at the bottom on one side. Mm-hmm. You're going to see a particular picture. If you're at the top, it's another. If you're on the other side, it's another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and people could argue a lot from those different vantage points. Yeah. But yeah. it's the same mountain somehow. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the same thing. When I was, I was uh, talking with my, my teaching partner, Michael. We're doing this big thing for UC Berkeley. And we were t- he's from Uganda, and we were talking about the whole idea of it's not like we have every country has its own sky. And it's all one big sky. Mm-hmm. It's just odd that it's, sometimes it might be 5 in the morning and someplace else it's 5 in the afternoon. It's that whole idea of that it's one sky that we're under. We just see it and experience it in different ways. Which is what makes living so rich. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. It's just sometimes difficult to talk to each other. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, but but interestingly, I've been thinking a lot about um, I, since my mother died. I've I've been thinking a lot about my wife's death. It it just you know the two come come up together, and mm-hmm. I've been thinking about how I sang every day. Mm-hmm. For the first year after she died, I don't have quite as much time to do that, but I'm still singing a lot, mm-hmm. just not every day. And mm-hmm. that that in that place, and and I think of this in regards to you, in that place, there is no separation. There's no right. argument. There's right. just song. There's just balm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just comfort. Yeah. Uh, and you don't have to entirely even agree with the words to exactly. to feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that so, went into you beca- be committing yourself entirely to music? That sense of, you know, um, being able to bridge between peoples? Because you really do that in your music. I wondered if it went into what drew you so much. You know, I'm, I'm not sure because, you know, I think that um, and it's, not, it's a difficult question for me to ask because to answer is because there there is literally for me no line or space between m- my music or whatever spirit gives me musically and everything else. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been doing a lot of work. I, actually, I just got back from New York participating in this, and this actually is just so interesting that we're talking about well, the grief and all of this, but this particular piece was called Seven Last Words, Strange Fruit Speaks, and what it was based on, it was at the Riverside Church in New York, of New York City, you know, that's, the Riverside Church is a church where uh, King spoke, um, Desmond Tutu, Mandela, 
Uh, Malcolm X have all spoken at this church, so it's a very, very, very uh, powerful church in, in the progressive movement. Um, and they asked me, they asked me to come there and, and lead some singing and sort of do the listing at the end. But what it was, they had ministers and, and speakers from different parts of the country who spoke on the last words uttered by the people who were killed by the police. So there was oh. someone there who talked about, who they talked about, uh, is it Eric Gardner who said, I can't breathe? So their whole yes. thing was based on that. And it was all about the last words of people who had been you know, killed by the police and about that grief and our, our grief as a collective as a group of people, and how do we talk about these things? That's what the whole thing, it was three hours long. It was intense. Melanie, and, that sounds so... Uh, amazing isn't the right word. I'm, I'm just so moved by hearing that. I, that. That church is part of my history. My parents were very close to that church. Wow. Uh, people in that church. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you say Riverside, I know exactly what you're <laughs> what yeah, you're talking so about. They asked me to come in and do that. Actually, I, I think that uh, I can send you a, a link. I think you could actually see, I can hear some of the speeches and everything that were made. It was really extraordinary. Um, and if you do, I'll, I'll put that on my links. Uh, okay, listeners out there, um, I'll try to get that on, on my links or at least on my website. Yeah. Uh, so that people listening out there can can um, can participate uh, yeah, as well. It's all about that. I mean, you know, I did I partook in this wonderful uh, uh, vigil that was sponsored by Kim folks. Um, and what she did, this is a couple of months ago, is she organized a rally around Lake Merritt that where she asked people to come without placards and no signs just come with candles and her whole thing was based on you know we need to stop and grieve about the loss so you know it was connected to black lives matter but to grieve about the loss of the people no noise none of that and it was beautiful i mean it was all kinds of people had come to lake merritt at night it was kind of cold and misty, and people had their candles, and there were little kids, and people of all colors were all there in silence. And it was like, we have to stop. We have to stop and grieve and just give space to that feeling of loss as a community. And I thought it was really great. And I, and I was there, and I went, and... Um, there were a bunch of people gathered at the end of it, you know, underneath the pillars and everything there on Lake Yes. Merit. my la- The last pictures of my mother, our whole family, we did a photo shoot right before she was diagnosed under those arches. Excellent. Well, then she was part of the... I was there, and Blackberry were there, and a lot of... And I looked around, and people were just milling. The thing was done, and I knew at that moment that people needed to sing. So I started singing. And we had a community thing right there on the spot. And people needed to do that together. They had the silence together, but they needed to make 
sound together. And so that's that's what I did, and, and it was a beautiful thing. But again, we we we're there's so many levels of grieving that's going on, not only personally for you and I and the loss of our dear parents, but just the whole grief that we're all feeling about this, you know, this senseless uh, loss of life. Um, the collect the collective grief. Absolutely. Yeah. And we have, you know, and really, in reality, we have been, particularly not only in the world, but in this country, we have been grieving for years, mm-hmm. for years. And and I think that if there's not space for that, stuff gets really weird. Really weird. Yeah, really let's talk weird. about that a little more after the break. I mean, that's yeah. so... That's with me every day in Oakland here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The number of people who are living in certain parts of our city that are under the kind of load of grief that mm-hmm. that I have no way to even imagine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Death after death after death and mm-hmm. and injury after injury. Let's mm-hmm. let's come back and talk about that more. Um listeners Please go connect in whatever way you can with me and um, continue this conversation. And find Melanie Demore at www.melaniedemore.com. Back after the break. your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness if you think you've seen online tv before let us surprise you VoiceAmerica.tv is online now the leader in live internet talk radio has done it again multiple channels a state-of-the-art viewing experience live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day it's exactly what you want when you want it VoiceAmerica.tv. from health and wellness to business sports and everything in between discover our new world visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Melanie Demore, a musician who, among other things, sings at the bedsides of dying people. And before the break, 
I was um, I was sorry we had to go to break because we were talking about um, a memorial event for all the losses that we as a as a collective community have been experiencing. Um, Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin, Oscar mm-hmm. Grant. I, I he always comes in mm-hmm. there with me, you know, at those moments. And um I was the the sense of grief ungrieved and what that does to us as people. Mm-hmm. Um and and maybe especially because we do have a technology that puts us so close to things that happen elsewhere. Yeah. Um yeah both in terms of hear- hearing people speak about it and videos and, you know, photographs. Um, it it feels very close. It doesn't feel removed to me. And, and I think that that's, the, that's the, the beauty and the sadness of it. And I also think that it's really important that we stop thinking about stuff that's happening over there. Mm-hmm. Instead of thinking about things, well, you know, that really doesn't have anything to do with me. The fact is that, to me, you got blood in your veins, and if you're taking a breath, again, that same thing about under one sky, it's all one air. We're just breathing it at different places, but it's all in there, and we're all really affected by that. And I think that if we were more aware of that, maybe we wouldn't do some of the stuff we do to each other, you know? Maybe, I don't know, I... I, my part of my prayer has been for not only the people whose lives have been lost. When I think about Eric Gardner and 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 just the countless other people who have been victimized and killed by the police, I also think about the people who perpetrate these things. Mm-hmm. So whether or not they, you know that they are, they are scarred. I don't care what they think or whether they get prosecuted or not, that it is not only, it's not enough for us to rage at the machine that kills where people get killed by the police, but what about a society in a world where you walk around in a bubble of fear and you react out of that fear? In a yes. way. So it's not, it is so beyond just the barrel of that gun. You know, there's an arm and a hand and a heart and a body and a whole set of fears and anxieties connected to that hand that pulls that trigger. And, then and, and learning and training and... Exactly, and uh, their children and their, and all of that stuff, it's like, you know... There's so much that we that we got to really be thinking about, and and you know my brother Frank, who has my two nephews, he says, you know, he says my two boys, he's they're they're in their twenties. He said, I'm I'm afraid to them. Yes. And I said, I understand that. I I totally get that. You know, I there's just so much, and I think so much of us not looking at our grief leads to really. What about you know PTSD? Not dealing with your grief pushes you to do crazy ass stuff. <laughs> yes, <laughs> to I use mean, a technical know? term, crazy ass stuff. <laughs> right? You know, it's true. I mean, I know. Look where it leads to us. Look where it leads us. 
uh, I was just, I'm, I'm putting on a, um, we just put on, put on our first death salon. Um, several people, uh, Betsy Rose, I think, you know, um, and we put the first one on Sunday and, uh, someone was quoting, uh, Melodoma Sume, who's mm-hmm. from West Africa has done a lot of grief work. He said that when he came to New York City, he felt he'd arrived in a city full of ghosts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about, that if you, don't, um, if you don't have access to your own feelings of loss and joy, um, yeah. you're, you're kind of um, disembodied to a, to a degree. Absolutely. It, it's, it's harder to stay in and care about other people and, and make um, reasonable decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but so but we're all, aren't we also okay. talking about the way we get there? Uh, you know, to me, if, if you sing a song, uh, I got to hear you recently at the Our Lives Matter art opening, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you sing a song and everyone in the room is either listening to that song or singing with you, mm-hmm. there's an automatic sense of connection. Absolutely. Um, that seems so powerful to me. And, you know, it's also one of the things is, is that, you know, I do a lot of this, uh, creating spontaneous choirs and just getting people to sing together because, you know... I think one of the things that's really difficult for people, you know, because you're, you're out there, you're grieving, you're, you've lost somebody, and people ask you how you are, and, and you know, you might say you're doing fine or whatever it is, but we don't make space for that. And I think that when you have people all together, you're given permission to grieve in community, and I think that we need that. Um, grieve or whatever it is that we do, because we get together, we have parties, we do all this stuff, but we don't have times where we come together. And what we're doing is we're just kind of singing, not singing our pain away, but singing it into some form of light together and sharing the burden of carrying that. I think it's really important, which is why I like to, you know, I get people to sing and it's like, you know... Really, we really are all one heart, but we walk around in our separate little hearts, and there's just not enough room sometimes to hold that kind of grief. We don't need the particulars with each other, but we just need to be in a place where we know, yeah, I'm hurting, you're hurting too. Why don't we put our two hearts together and maybe lift it up a little bit? I wonder if you would, um, I don't know about um, the guitar, because I think it's tweaking the cell phone. But uh-huh. if you could just sing a little bit of um, Swing Low, because, of course, that you sang that for my mother, and you sang it at her memorial, and it's yeah. it just takes me, It's it would be a beautiful way for us to end our conversation, I think. Uh, it's too bad that the guitar, because that's, that's part of the, the thing. Well, you can try it. Maybe Maybe be a little further back. All right, I'll try it. Yeah, because that's uh, part of the... The way that it goes. All right, let's try. Can <laughs> you just let me know? Can you still hear me? Yes, I can, absolutely. Okay. Can you hear that? Yes, I can. 
As Melanie keeps singing, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Melanie. It's been wonderful. You can find her at MelanieDemore.com. Next week, I'll be talking with Rachel Kodanaz. Rachel lost her husband suddenly when her daughter was just two and called to bring grief awareness into the workplace, offers workshops and consultation, and eventually wrote her book, Living with Loss One Day at a Time. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.